Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. All right, Hal, welcome back. It is episode three for us so far. Uh, this week should be a really exciting week. I know we got really excited when we started talking about what the agenda would look like. Um, and the big question that I know I get a lot, and I think you get a lot too, is why should I even be looking at crypto as an investment? So yeah. uh, we're going to try to spend some time and go through that. Hopefully this doesn't last too long and turn into a multi-podcast or a multi-episode discussion. Uh, but before we get into that, I think there's still a lot of positive things going on in the crypto world, um, even though numbers and things are down. So maybe I'll let you start out with some of the, the positive things you're hearing on your end. Yeah, uh, this week has been a pretty big week for regulation news. Um, Biden came out and said he's like traditional government efficiency. He's going to release an executive order that is going to nominate a committee, uh, like a multifaceted tax uh, task force from different agencies. And that task force is going to create a framework to uh, look at crypto and Bitcoin and figure out kind of a path forward. So it's like the government saying, hey, we're going to start sort of planning to do something about crypto and Bitcoin. Um, and so it's going to be, it, it, they tied it to national security, which I think got a lot of people up uh, and ex excited about, oh, this is going to be bad for crypto and bad for Bitcoin. But it made it be a political response because Putin brought up that Russia has a lot of advantages to Bitcoin mining. And if Russia starts to do Bitcoin mining and roll into Bitcoin, they could potentially sell oil and natural gas in Bitcoin rather than U.S. dollars. Um, so there's there's kind of a, a side of people that are thinking that's kind of the motivating factor for kicking off this executive order, um, which would be really fascinating. And that's pretty early, but um, this executive order is is really just going to try to get their the government's head straight on crypto and Bitcoin. Um, similarly. You've got a state in Arizona that passed or that didn't pass with well, was proposed legislation to add Bitcoin as legal tender. And I don't know that that's really possible uh, based on the federal government's uh, doesn't allow states to print their own currency or to. Uh, so uh, granted, Arizona doesn't, isn't going to be printing Bitcoin, um, but it's I, I try to dig through different acts and figure out what was possible for states to do. I don't know how it's going to end up, but it's neat that Arizona, not Texas, New York, California, uh, Wyoming, which are states that have been pro-Bitcoin and increasingly pro-Bitcoin, uh, Arizona jumps, throws their hat in the ring with a, okay, well, what about legal tender? Um, so that's that's pretty fascinating. Arizona's population is similar to El Salvador, but their GDP is like 30 times greater. So it's there's a little bit more money behind that. So. Wow. Uh, Arizona's something worth looking at and it's a new state and it's not this like a full red state like like Texas. Uh, so I think I think Bitcoin is apolitical and it shouldn't matter which if you're on the red team or blue team, it should matter which team you're on. Um, but it seems like the Republican side is being more favorable to cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and the Democrat side uh, is less favorable, which doesn't really make sense to me. 
based on what I know about Bitcoin and crypto. But um, it's nice to get a little bit of, of blue team support on on the uh, cryptocurrency. There's also a, a, a Democrat senator that is pro Bitcoin, and uh, so there's there's starting to be both sides of the aisle supporting cryptocurrencies, which is good. And that leads me to like the, this final piece where there's a there's a the United States competes act that is geared towards boosting the United States competitive nature on a global scale in manufacturing, basically trying to bolster the supply chain. So we don't have the problem we're having now in the future. So there's a lot of manufacturing stuff in there. Um, and one of the pieces was about uh, banking right now. Like there's, there's an ability for the government to, criticize what you're doing with your banking actions they can freeze your banking abilities for it's a limited number of days 30 60 90 days and then investigate and see what you're doing if it's legal and things like that well this competes act peels that back so that there's an unlimited amount of time that they can freeze your banking abilities and crypto people saw that as like oh here we go right like it's it's like paranoia in order to be successful. And so they're constantly looking for things that would be like, oh, okay, well, you're buying on Coinbase. So something's up with you. You're frozen. Um, there has been some cryptocurrency exchange transactions that have triggered bank freezes. And so it's one kind of a touchy subject for, for some crypto people. And uh, basically what they did is um, there's a think tank in D.C. that's pro-crypto. They brought it to the uh, legislature's attention and they peeled that back and they put they put the time limits back in. So basically it's it's not going to be a less uh, crypto friendly bill that gets passed. And it's one of these monster bills that passes. Right. Like the infrastructure bill, which also has some some crypto stuff that was um, redefining broker so that everybody in crypto would have to have. Uh, know your customer information and anti-money laundering information from their people they transact with. Um, but that language is going to get changed. Uh, it didn't get changed. It would have gotten changed. Um, and a lot of crypto people called senators and called congressmen and brought it to their attention. And I think that was actually the first trigger that rose the the amount of people that are willing to make a phone call to a senator, which is not a lot of people do. Uh, it, I think that was kind of threw some alarm bells up for people in DC. Like, oh, there's there's quite a few people here that are willing to to push back, and you know, it may it may cost some some people a, a spot, you know, in the Senate or the House if they go anti crypto. So, um, so that's on the regulation side. I think there's a lot of positives. Um, things seem to be there seems to be momentum pro crypto momentum. Uh, for legislation right now. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, tying into what you what you just mentioned, so Russia went from being completely talking about banning cryptocurrency to now they're looking at regulating it. So that's always a positive. Uh, I know China already banned it, and that's usually a um, a good thing for something to flourish. Uh, the other thing that I had, and this is kind of minor, but it's it's kind of exciting. We've talked a lot about in the past on how the miners out there are usually very knowledgeable about where the tops and the bottoms are going to be. 
Um, and even with, with price being kind of low and everybody talking about a, a bear market to continue to go down further, um, the miners aren't selling. So they're, they're hodling, which is, which is always a positive side of things. And then Visa just came out with their earnings announcements. So in their first fiscal quarter of 2022, they had two and a half billion dollars of uh, transactions on crypto related credit cards. Um, and to put that into relation, that is 70% of all they did in 2021. So it's huge growth. Uh, they're upping their, their partners from like 54 to 65 different crypto wallet partners. Um, and they are, I think, at the point now where there's over 100 million merchants that end up will accept crypto. So that, that's, that's really exciting. And that's just Visa, right? I mean, MasterCard is doing their own thing. And uh, so the numbers are starting to get large. And it's interesting even during this, I mean, this last quarter, Bitcoin and everything has been going down and people are still spending tons of money on crypto related cards. Um, so that's really positive. And then the last thing, and this is more of maybe just a personal interest. Um, if you haven't heard of the whole concept of DAOs, uh, that is, it seems to start starting to take a lot more preference in, in a lot of different companies. So there's going to be probably a move from a lot of companies to this whole concept of DAOs. So um, I'm hoping that we can talk about this in the future once we start to understand it more. But that's really exciting to see the ability for people to create businesses and have them almost make decisions as a group um, very easily and streamlined versus the way that some businesses are done today. Yeah. So um, exciting stuff. But I, I think the meat of this conversation is going to be what everybody wants to hear and why should they be investing in crypto? And, and I say crypto, I know you're probably more focused on Bitcoin and I'm looking at crypto as a whole, but let's, sure. let's start at kind of the beginning on maybe what is money or currency? What does that even mean? And how does that compare to, to crypto and where did it start and where we are now? Where are we now? Yeah. So I think I've put some thought into how to explain like why Bitcoin uh, or what is Bitcoin uh, to people and if you jump too far ahead, I think it's, I, I think it's, you're doing a disservice. So we're going to start like in the beginning. Um, like gold was determined to be valuable kind of universally across continents thousands of years ago, right? Incans, Mayans, Egyptians, Europeans, Chinese, right? Like everybody that had gold around them or could sail somewhere and get it, wanted it. Um, and so there's jewelry and there's things like that, but gold has some properties that are interesting in that it, it doesn't degrade over time. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's shiny and people want it. Uh, it's good for, um, maintaining its, its value across distances, right? Like if you're in China and you go to South America, okay, great. Gold's gold. Um, so there's some, some good things there. And so as things evolved and governments came to play and like Roman times evolved, then governments started saying, okay, well, everybody wants gold and we need to have a universal uh, currency for exchange for our, you know, people in our society. So we'll take this gold, we'll create coins that have different values and it'll be locked in so that everybody knows what the values of these coins are and they can exchange it for goods and services. 
And so, you know, that works for a while, but then governments typically go to war and that costs a bunch of money. And what happens is they have to basically print more money. And if you're tied to gold, you can't print more money. So what Romans did and what other governments do is they collect all the coins. They reissue and remint coins that have less gold content, but are now worth the same amount uh, of whatever currency they were in uh, when they release them back out. So they increase the, uh, the base currency without having to um, deal with this gold issue. So over time, this evolves and everybody people still want gold, right? Uh, in 1971, Nixon takes the United States off the gold standard. Uh, up to that point, like gold, uh, U.S. dollars were like Roman drachma. They're essentially exchangeable directly for gold. You don't have control. The government doesn't have control over the price of gold. So in 1971, Nixon says, we're going to temporarily take ourselves off the gold standard. And that allows monetary policy to really come into play and become a science and uh, not a science like engineering or chemistry, but like, you know, there's uh, people are trying to figure out, okay, what happens if, if we do this, what happens here? If we print more money and directly put it in people's hands, what happens? And um, if, how do we introduce more money into the, into the economy and how do you know, how do we work with loans and banks and things like that? So what you end up with is, in 2022, we have a whole society of people that are earning money that's government-backed that have never lived in a in a Bitcoin in a in a gold-backed currency society. So everybody's born into this thing where you go to school, you learn, you get educated, you you turn that education into your first job, and then you turn your sec first job into your second job, and you get paid more money, and you know you. If you can't afford to buy things, you get a loan, you buy it now, and then you pay for it later based on your future earning potential. And so that we're fully engrossed into a, an economy where only people that are that are well into retirement actually know what it's like to exchange gold-backed currency. And so that's why it's tough to just jump right into what's Bitcoin, because people don't really know what money is anymore. Um because nobody's lived in a society that's got hard money, like backed currency. Um, and so you've got these people, an entire society of people that have spent their whole lives gearing towards making more money, right? Yeah, there's the guys that just want to surf and have fun and they're not as concerned about money. But the society's driven by people making money. I mean, there's a reason why college tuition is is going up like crazy. There's a reason why everybody's like LinkedIn is a, is a social network that matters because everybody's working to get more money. Um, so that's a lot of time and effort and a lot of, of manpower that's going into earning currency. And then, so you, you get, you get a paycheck or you own a small business and you're, you're receiving distributions and okay. So you got to pay taxes right up front. Right. So that some of that money goes away immediately. You've got bills. You got to pay rent, electricity, food, uh, the necessities. Then what's that left after that? You got vacations and little league and clothes and, th and things like that. So what you end up with at the very end of every month is some small fraction of what you earned as savings. And I, 
pretty much people don't respect that money as much as I think they should. Like those are really tough dollars to survive all of that. Uh, you know, you worked hard to, to educate yourself and to develop skills so that you could get paid to do whatever you're doing. And then you spend a bunch of money. It's very like we're in America, right? Spending money is like American. I mean, it's what we do, right? Uh, American consumerism is a thing. So nobody's nobody talks about saving money, right? You don't see, save, you don't drive your saved money around and people are like, oh man, that looks great. Uh, when'd you get that? You know, nobody really talks about it. So that saved money is, it needs to be appreciated. And and that's what we're really talking about. That money for, for now, you know, we're not talking about spending Bitcoin and earning in Bitcoin. We're talking about Bitcoin as a, as an asset class that you can, uh, convert your dollars into instead of stocks, bonds, real estate, precious metals like gold and silver. Um, and so when you talk about why Bitcoin, like you definitely need to understand, like it's not dollars, right? Like if, if, if the U.S. dollar was solid and hard money, people would save money every month and that would be fine. And two years from now, that 500 bucks you saved would still be worth $500. You could still buy $500 worth of goods and services. But that's not what it is. The dollar constantly uh, is being debased. So you're, you don't have the value that you had two years ago in those dollars. So everybody takes those savings they worked hard for, and they got to figure out what to do with it, what they can buy to convert out of U.S. dollars and into something else, right? And so you've got asset classes. Everybody's, you know, the stock market, whether you understand it or not, is kind of irrelevant you're in it, right? If you've got a 401k, you're in it. If you, um, you know, if you've got mutual funds, whatever, you're, you're in, you're buying stocks and nobody really beats the index. I mean, it's, you could spend all day, every day trying to pick stocks and you're probably going to do just as good as if you just dump money in and let it ride on an S and P 500 index. Um, and so, you know, people are looking at stocks currently, the stock markets, you know, we're down off of the all-time highs, but we're not down a lot. Um, it seems like it's a pretty risk-on move to jump into stocks. If you're trying to pick sectors, then maybe you can find places that are a little, excuse me, a little more stable um, or a little more uh, have a little bit more upside potential. But you're talking about being a stock picker, right? That's traditionally that's not a good not a good place to be like timing the market and, and picking stocks. So before you go into a lot of these, um, what your other options are, I, I mean, a couple of things that I wanted to jump in and talk about. Um, we talked about currency, right? And, and to me, currency, all it is, is just a medium of exchange, right? So it, it's created to make sure that we are able to trade things freely. Um, and the, the, what you'll hear a lot of is fiat currency, right? Where it's not really backed by anything other than the trust of whatever government is printing it. Um, I will, in the show notes, there's um, a really cool website called WT, WTF Happened in 1971. And that's probably where people go and look at and see how everything changed as soon as we went off the gold standard. Um, and then we just talked about kind of the, the value of the dollar going down. I did see um, in 1914, if you would have had $100 uh, worth of U.S. dollars, that in 2021, so a couple of months ago, would have been worth four dollars uh, spending power, right? So, I mean, yes, the the value of the dollar is going down. 
inflation just hit some new highs and I don't, I don't know what the actual stats are, stats are, but they're at 7% now and they've been in the, what, one or 2% for how many years? So a lot of things are changing um, and being in a deflationary asset, right? Uh, you're just losing money the longer that you hold it. So I think that kind of gets us to where are the other options that you can go to, stocks being one of those, right? And and sorry, I'll let you keep, keep going about what else there is that you can look at from that perspective. Yeah. So, um, you know, once you've saved money, you got a decision to make. Like, I know some people that sit on dollars and that's, they feel like that's safe or they just buy a more expensive house to live in uh, because they can afford it. And so their house, like, yeah, they live in it, but I mean, it's twice as big as they need. But the reason that they bought it is because it's a store of value, right? Like we can keep putting money into this house and it's, it's going to be there for us to sell at a later date. And it would be worth more in theory. Um, and so, you know, everybody's looking for think, what, what can I do with these dollars before they fall apart on me? What can I get into? Um, we talked a little bit about stocks. We're not a stock show. Bonds, you know, bonds are typically the safe play where you get like a guaranteed return uh, in exchange for, for buying the bond. Well, in an, if, if you believe that interest rates are going up, you know, the value of the bond itself drops because new bonds will have higher interest rates. So bonds aren't really a great place to be right now with low interest rates and high inflation. So bonds pay uh, whatever, one and a half, two percent on a 10 year bond. But inflation's seven percent, so you're losing five percent of your buying power by buying a bond. So you have all risk, no reward buying a bond. It's it's better than cash, yes, um, but it's it's not what it used to be. I mean, we've had forty years of declining interest rates, so bonds have been a good place to be. But we're at zero now; like we've hit the bottom of where we can be on interest rates. So. Um, you know, and with the inflation, when, when inflation is 1% and bonds pay 2%, okay, you're, at least you're beating inflation. Um, that's not the case. And I don't, I don't think anybody believes that inflation is going to drop off a cliff anytime soon. Um, and so you have people and, and, uh, you know, I'm big into real estate. Um, so you, you're taking these dollars. Uh, what can I do with it? Okay. I can buy a house and I could rent that house. Somebody needs a place to live. Uh, they'll pay me rent. So one, I've got the, store of value in the real estate, in the property, I can sell it at a later date. And two, I've got cash flow coming in every month from the people that live in the real estate or you Airbnb it or, you know, or you just buy and hold land. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do, but um, there's a lot of care and maintenance that goes into, into real estate. You've got property taxes that bleed off of your, your gains in insurance repairs. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a time element involved. So, you know, real estate's not for everybody in general. Uh, and then also you've got kind of barriers to entry. If your credit's bad or, and you don't have a whole lot of savings, you can't buy something in cash, you're kind of eliminated from jumping into real estate. Um, so that's, you know, there's, there's real estate's not, uh, it's not an investment class for everybody. Um, and then you've got gold and silver, which is a little easier to get into. You can get into at smaller levels and buy golden eagles and silver eagles and, and collect gold and, um, things like that, but there's a premium that you always have to pay. There's shipping that you have to pay. You know, you're, 
there's like an entry fee in order to, to buy gold, unless you're buying like a gold ETF or some kind of uh, paper that's backed by gold um, or some kind of vehicle that's backed by gold or silver. And so, and then if you're in an ETF, you got a fraction of a percent every year that you're paying in order to be in that ETF. Um, so there's, you know, everything's tricky. Like there's a, there's a penalty for everything, including dollars, right? There's, there's risk in stocks. There's all risk, no reward in bonds in an inflationary environment in real estate, <clears throat> excuse me, in real estate, you've got a time element plus you're bleeding off your, your gains plus there's barriers to entry and then gold and silver you're paying a premium to get into it and then if you have a bunch of it you got to store it somewhere that's secure because like there's nothing about that gold that if somebody steals it you can't get it back like it's, it's not like it's yours and it, they they can just sell it just as easy as you can so it disappears um and so that is kind of that to me is the quickest i can explain why Bitcoin is an asset class that should be considered alongside of these others as an investment opportunity or an investment vehicle to convert out of dollars and into something else. Um, Bitcoin, I'll talk about Bitcoin and I'll let you talk about crypto because you're bigger into that side and I'm bigger into the Bitcoin side. Um, but to me, you've got all of these all of these issues and all these things and then you've got Bitcoin where man, it's pretty easy to buy, right? You can look at the chart, you can see like, yes, Bitcoin goes up and down. But if you look at the chart over a long period of time, Bitcoin goes up. Like everybody talks about bear markets and bull markets. If you zoom out long enough, it's just a bull market. Uh, so you talked about all of these, like Visa having incredible growth. You talk about El Salvador adopting it as, uh, currency or legal tender. All these other states are starting to pile in. Russia's piling. So people are starting to want Bitcoin, similar to how people wanted gold. And it doesn't matter geographically where you're located. Uh, there's something about Bitcoin that you want. Some people don't understand it. They want it because everybody else wants it. And the, and the their dummy buddy who's an idiot is making a bunch of profit on Bitcoin and they're sick of it, right? So there's people that want Bitcoin because of that. And there's people that have done 200 hours worth of research, understand Bitcoin inside and out. And they're like, man, this is an incredible new technology that I need to be a part of. I think it's going places. Um, and so this Bitcoin asset class and, and crypto as a whole uh, needs to be considered as a, a portion of these asset classes that you're evaluating when you're converting your U.S. dollars before they disappear on you. Um, so... That allows us to let you talk about crypto for a little bit and I'll stop talking uh, uh, and give myself a break. And, and then I'll, you talk about crypto and then I'll, I'll jump back in and talk kind of Bitcoin specifics. Yeah, no, I, I think that's good. I, I will say um, the, the one benefit about Bitcoin specifically, right, is that they have been termed property um, by the government. So it's not a security, which you might have to worry about a lot of other things and whatever the government decides to do with that. But Bitcoin is, is property. And because of that, you could argue that it's probably uh, the apex property of the human race right now. And, and maybe I'm stealing a little, a little of this from Michael Saylor, who has invested more money than anybody else into Bitcoin <laughs> at this point. Um, but, but it's really, I, I think the big thing that it, 
that it does from a, from a big picture perspective is it's connecting everyone together because it's giving everybody the freedom and the availability of actually owning property, right? And then it connects all 8 billion people or whatever it is across the world that we have now um, and, and hundreds of millions of businesses and allows them to kind of create a level playing field. You, you talked about red team and blue team blue team, right? So this goes across all political organizations and it just makes it an even playing field for everybody. So I, I do think Bitcoin um, is, I mean, shoot, it, it is a market leader, right? It is what even in crypto, most people, if they're doing investing in an altcoin, they're usually taking profits into Bitcoin, right? So that's where they want to be long-term. Bitcoin is going to be the one that definitely survives uh, at least for quite a while. Uh, the everything else is still a question mark, right? Bitcoin has gone through a lot of failures, if you want to call it that, where everybody thinks it's crashing and it just keeps storming right back. So I, I do think Bitcoin is definitely um, the reason why we're here and what started it all. And I I, I don't want to say that it's not the, the one of the best places to be because it probably is the best place to be. The big difference is what we're kind of talking about as well as, if you want returns to outpace inflation, what are some of those other things to do, right? And when you, while Bitcoin will do very well, there are other coins that will do much better uh, in the in a short time frame, right? Now I don't know if they'll do better in the long term, um, but that's kind of the exciting piece of the rest of the crypto industry, right? Is is kind of being able to gamble a little bit and get some bigger returns rather than just the what, 100% a year that Bitcoin is getting. Um, so I, I think one of the other big pictures that I'll, big things I wanted to talk about is like use cases. And if you travel the world and kind of see what the rest of the world, how they live, you will probably determine that Americans are very spoiled. We have it very nice over here. Uh, there are, I mean, you can call up anything and have it delivered to you within a couple of hours or on Amazon in like a couple of days, right? Um, there's just, there's so much, so many things that we take for granted that a lot of the rest of the world doesn't. Uh, and one of the big things that starts to get interesting and shoot, you and I did some of this in, a, in a, some previous, um, experience is cross-border payments, right? So if you look at it from a, a personal perspective, perspective, that's like a, a remittance, right? So setting the Western union and, and all that kind of stuff today, there's over $700 billion a year that is sent from person to person around the world, right? The, the crazy part is out of that 700 billion, the average fees are north of 7% of, of what is being sent. So that's almost $50 billion a year of fees that are being paid. So to me, if you could eliminate that with crypto, I mean, there's a handful of cryptos that you can pretty much send stuff for less than a penny, right? Now that's putting almost $50 billion back into the pockets of the people that are earning this money. And like you talked about earlier, they, it's so hard to keep it, right? Because there's always taxes and everything else. Now all of a sudden there's another 7% uh, more fees. It's just, how do you minimize that? And then on the flip side of that, <clears throat> from the business perspective, people doing cross-border payments from, from us to China, right? When we're acquiring right. things from China, that side of the business is um, more than $2 trillion a year. Right. So the, I think the average fees on that are uh, somewhere around 6%. But even if you said 3%, 3% is, of that is still um, over $60 billion a year. Right. So 
if you could put $60 billion a year back into the businesses and help them grow, maybe you wouldn't have all these small businesses failing so much. <laughs> yeah, and um, another thing on, on those remittance payments that you talked about, um, that 7% on average, the thing about those remittance payments is the smaller the, the value that you're trying to remit, like if you got, if, if a family member is in the United States and he's scraping by and he's trying to send 50 bucks or a hundred dollars back to uh, his family in whichever country, those, you know, you're into that flat rate fee, you know, up to a certain amount. So that might be 10 or 15, $20 to, to make that transaction happen. Um, so you're talking about 20% or more, you know, if you, you can't just send 50 bucks to your family, like you have to, it's, it's, almost advantageous to wait and wait and wait and build up more money and then send a larger payment because you'll be paying less fees as a total of your payment. But if those people need money, you don't care. Like if they need money in order to eat food, you're going to send that 50 bucks. And if it costs you 15 or 20 bucks to send 50, fine. That's all you got is 50. I mean, I think again, Americans are spoiled. They don't understand. Like that's kind of a, 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 one of the first use cases that makes a lot of sense to me for Bitcoin and, and Lightning Network and reducing fees and all that is you want to send 50 bucks back to your family so they can eat for a couple of days. You can do it just immediately. Um, and so uh, in America, 50 bucks, man, like that's lunch for for a lot of, you know, that's a, that's a business lunch for two people. Um, mm -hmm. That's like a week's worth of food for a lot of people. So I think that Americans need to, the American use case is very different than the developing country use case for Bitcoin. And the neat thing is it doesn't matter to Bitcoin who needs to use it and in what scale. It's uh, the more people that want it, the better. And that's, again, the blue team stuff. If you're a poor El Salvadorian family and your family members are in the U.S., you know, scraping by, do it, working their tail off, and sending money home you're that's great for humanity that those people have more more money and no offense to western union stockholders but western union has less um you know that's business right like kodak uh got hurt right like if your uh polaroid gets hurt like as things get disrupted companies need to adapt or they die and it's better for people uh to have bitcoin and access to to cross-border payments that are that are low fee or no fee and so when you talk about blue team stuff, this is a good blue team thing to go by. It doesn't matter. This isn't for rich people. Yeah, okay, if you're in the United States and you're trying to figure out what to do with your your um, your savings and you're trying to figure out how to appreciate your assets, yeah, okay, Bitcoin's an option. But when rich people are buying Bitcoin, wealthy people are buying Bitcoin globally and drive the price up, well, that really helps some El Salvadorians that kept their Bitcoin remittance payments in Bitcoin instead of converting them into dollars. Um and, oh, by the way, you've got really intelligent developers working on software applications on top of Bitcoin. Well, that helps the poor people that are onto Bitcoin in, uh, you know, I'm saying El Salvador, but they're, I mean, countries are going to start piling, piling into Bitcoin uh, once, once they see how good this stuff works. Um, and so if you're, if you're the, you know, the blue team looking out for the little guy, supposedly, like this is a great thing to give them like everybody's got a smartphone i mean the crazy thing about it is you're in america like yeah of course everybody has a smartphone in el salvador everybody's got a smartphone like nobody's got a banking account like a checking account but they've all got smartphones and so you're talking about really fairly universal access to 
uh, to banking. And man, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a checking account. But if you run a business and you have some low skill employees, some of them do not have bank accounts in the United States. I don't know what percentage of the United States uh, it's, it's adults. About, it's about 20% of the U.S. American, yeah. Americans. So, so that's like 60 million people, right? right. Um, but that's worldwide. Over 2 billion people don't have checking accounts. So, right. And, and so we, we had employees that were part-time guys that, you know, they kind of had a rough path to get to us, to work for us. And we um, do what we could to help them. But yeah, we, we had to find ways to pay them. And I hated it because I, we would cut them a paycheck and they would go to a check cashing place. And guess what they do, right? There's 15 or 20% uh, off of that guy's paycheck. And he just, and it, it's a hard job. I worked it. So I, I really hated that. And so we started trying to find any way we could possibly get dollars from the company into our employees' hands without paying these crazy fees, um, especially for the part-time guys that are making, you know, a couple hundred bucks a week. Paying 20, 30, 40 bucks to get a check cashed is awful. But that's, guess what, man? Everybody, that all their friends and all the people that are similar to them and their peer group that are working the same jobs, that are doing the same thing, they all go to the same check cashing place and they all... And that's just the way it is. And that the way it is stinks. And it stinks for those guys way more than it stinks for, you know, people that are working jobs, making, you know, even if you're, even if you're saving, if you're saving a dollar a month, you're in what the top 50% of savers in the United States. Like that's, that's where we are. Right. And, and yeah, well, to go back to the first thing I talked about is I don't think people understand how hard they worked for that paycheck. They think they converted 40 hours of their life for that paycheck, which is a big deal, right? You're going to run out of hours. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't just spend 40 hours doing it. They spent their entire childhood in school learning. And if they went to college, they spent four years from 18 to 22 years old, this critical years there. You got a ton of energy and a ton of ability. You spent all that time gaining an education so you could work that 40 hours and get that paycheck. And so, you know, but man, people, people are not afraid to drop money on lunch and drop money on dinner and not even think about it. Cause that's the way it is. Oh man. Yeah. We got to go to a nice dinner. It's an anniversary. Like, okay, well there's a bunch of money down the drain. If you convert that money into hours, like, okay, well we sat there for two hours and had dinner and it cost us two hours of our working career. Like, man, that's, that's a lot. I mean, the, the payments that people are making with their time, and with these fees that are, are coming up uh, in order to transact and, and move money across, uh, people it, it's just the way it is, so people don't feel it. But it's it's a significant portion of everybody's life that's going down the drain to to, to pay these things. And that's where and, – and then whatever you keep gets uh, loses its spending power over time. Yeah. So it's a really kind of a crappy system, and I think – that's why people that are into Bitcoin that have kind of gone through this mental process and kind of started thinking about it this way have gotten so anti-fiat and anti-US dollar. And, and that's, that's a thought process that isn't necessary to like Bitcoin and to and like get into Bitcoin and understand it. Like you don't have to hate the dollar. It starts making you want to hate the dollar the more you follow Bitcoin and understand kind of how it works. But um but it's not necessary. Like the dollar does a lot of good. So fine. If you like dollars, you can also 
you can also have Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't care if you like dollars or not. Like, uh, so, so that, th there's some, there's some pieces to the whole Bitcoin puzzle that, uh, that kind of come together when you really start to think about it, but the, the cross-border payments and helping out the little guy. And then that little guy also has developers like highly intelligent developers that are coming off of the best tech companies in Silicon Valley and everywhere else to work on Bitcoin projects. Like those people are working for the guy in El Salvador who's getting 50 bucks a week from his family member in the United States. Like that's pretty neat. We haven't had that before. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you kind of mentioned it. Um, I mean, we're, we've been talking a lot about fees saved, right? And, and that creates a lot of value in the network in general, but time and convenience is another big thing too, right? So if you're having to go to the, these money orders or check cashing places, you're taking up a lot of time. And a lot of times when you're struggling, especially if you have kids or family, finding that time is super difficult. Uh, I mean, I live in a city, so there's a lot of things very close, but if you're in a very rural area, maybe you have to drive quite a bit of time just to get there. And then they're only open on certain hours, so you're restricted on when you can do things versus say the Bitcoin network that's open 24 seven whenever you want it, right? So I, yeah, I, there's a ton of reasons that I think behind a lot of this, and we, we touched on the unbanked. I mean, I think the unbanked is, is definitely a, a huge um, benefit to what crypto is enabling. Um, the other thing that we could talk about is like tokenization. And you, you've probably heard of NFTs and kind of what they've been doing. I feel like NFTs right now are just the scratching beginning of what's going to happen in the future. Uh, there are companies like uh, Red Swan that have tokenized over $2.2 billion of real estate to date. Uh, and if you look at the entire uh, real estate market out there, it's probably north of $280 trillion. So if you all of a sudden take the real estate community and tokenize it, and make it easier and save a lot of money on closing and things like that. But now you have more than 200x the total market cap of what the crypto market cap is, right? So all of a sudden, the value of what crypto is, it has a huge potential. And that's just doing real estate, right? We're not talking about all the other things that we just mentioned. So I, I think that the big picture of all this is there are a lot of things that crypto can do very well for a lot of different things. And it will take some time. But if you want to get in early, now is a time to start figuring out and enjoy being a piece of that. Now, the other piece, of course, is which products or which tokens do you want to be in? And that's a whole other issue, right? Bitcoin's probably the safest. Will there be some other ones that do well? Yes. Right. But um, the question is, will Bitcoin be able to do it all? <laughs> and I don't yeah, think pick, that... picking winners in the crypto space is super tough. Like you, you pick one that you believe in that's, and it starts to go up and you're like, oh man, I was right. I, I'm hundred percent right, man. This crypto is going to make it. And it, it's on a rocket ship, man. It's going up. And then it doesn't. And then it drops. And you're like, oh, man, was I wrong? Like, it, it, it's very difficult. It's very easy to buy into a project. It's very difficult to sell. Yeah, that's I, I've had a lot of trouble convincing myself that either I was wrong or I was too early or whatever, too late. Or the market's just not going to hold up. I mean, it's very difficult. Um, and, you know, with it's probably worth talking a little bit about the differences between Bitcoin and crypto here. Um, again, I'm like 
Johnny Bitcoin every time we talk. But, um, you know, the other cryptocurrencies, I, the majority of them, I think, are just junk. Like, there's so many small junk things. Like, the I don't know how many dog coins there are <laughs> and cat coins there are that are Too just many. coins that people make. And so there's a bunch of stuff that's just junk. And so you, that's easy to weed through the... Um, but you know, you've got like Ethereum and Cardano and, um, you know, there's some cryptos that are being used that have use cases, but like Litecoin was being used for a while and I don't hear anything about Litecoin anymore. Um, and so it's kind of a challenge to figure out what's going to hold over time. Um, and, and, and Bitcoin to me is built for one kind of use case and that's money. Not necessarily just currency, but money, store of value, uh, unit unit of account, um, and medium of exchange. And so, like, it's it's kind of trying to tackle the biggest use case in, in the crypto space, which is money. Um, you talk about real estate being like two hundred eighty trillion dollars globally. Like, there's a portion of that real estate that is actually just like a, a monetary premium, right? It's people use real estate as an investment. So like commercial real estate is mostly a monetary premium on the real estate. And it's, if you look at how it's determined the value of it, it has nothing to do with how nice the property is, what the fixtures are worth, what the foundation's worth, what it's worth. If you, if you appraise commercial property, it's what's the rent. And then what is a reasonable ROI? And then you back out the, the value of a property based on, uh, based on the rental income. So it's, it's not priced based on, okay, well, your location's this, your, you know, the construction's this old and it's this quality and things like that. It's really, Hey, what, how much you getting for it? That's what's, that's what determines the value of it. So there's, there's a monetary premium of that two eighty Yeah. Some of that, a lot of that, I guess, I don't know what percentage of real estate is valued due to it being hard, actual property. But some of it is a monetary premium on top of it. Like that's why uh, the same exact house gets sold for thirty percent more a year later in this market we've had, where everything goes up. That's just money. Like it's just people thinking that real estate's more valuable. It, it has nothing to do with the actual value of that real estate. So you're talking about if if Bitcoin is is trying to kind of suck off the monetary premium of all of these asset classes that. Really, I mean, you don't need to have monetary premium on real estate, right? And the same with gold. Like gold people talk about, well, it's useful in electronics, so it's valuable. And it's people love jewelry, so it's valuable. But like estimated 60% of the price of gold is due to the monetary premium that people think it's money, that people think it's valuable and it's going to be more valuable over time. And so, you know, you start, you start determining all of these things that people are buying gold because they are looking for a store of value. People buy real estate because they're looking for a store of value. You know, if people start to want Bitcoin, which they want Bitcoin, right? The more people they get into it, the more people want it. It's very self-fulfilling. There's a game theory piece, right? Visa Visa comes out and, and says publicly that their, um, their Bitcoin tied credit cards are up, whatever you said, you know, 70% uh, of last year's was done in the first quarter. So, you know, you're talking about, look at this growth for Visa. Well, Wells Fargo is looking at that. And they're like, okay, well, there's definitely a need out there from Visa. The same people that use Visa use Wells Fargo and Bank of America and all these. 
So these banks are going to be like, okay, well, how can we profit from this? And we need to add some some crypto capabilities. And and as people want it, then banks and merchants will use it more. And you know, small businesses where people like like me and you are like, yeah, I want Bitcoin. I'd rather get paid in Bitcoin than in U.S. dollars because all I'm going to do is take the dollars and convert them to Bitcoin anyway. Um, as people start to develop that, then there's a there's a want and a, and a need for more Bitcoin in the market. And because you're not printing as much Bitcoin as you want, like the U.S. dollar, the price has to go up um, because you got a lot of people holding it, a lot of people sitting on it. And you know, in order to pry Bitcoin out of people's hands, you got to offer them more money. Um, and so that's good for everybody that's in the Bitcoin market. That's everybody that holds Bitcoin. Everything goes up for them. Um, the price of everything else goes down for them. And, um, so that's one of the big valuable pieces to Bitcoin. Um, and getting into Bitcoin now is still early. You know, you're, it's, it's, I think a lot of people constantly, like I, there's a, there's a thing on the internet where, there's a screenshot from early Bitcoin times where it's like, I only have 600 Bitcoin. I missed the boat. Uh, you know, I just mined it yet the last week. Uh, I, I'm going to end up having to buy Bitcoin directly. And it's like, that guy thought he was late. And he had 600 Bitcoin <laughs> that he mined in a week. Uh, and, you know, people in 2017 thought it was late, right? And people get in now and then people in 2028 are going to think they're late. And they probably won't be late, you know? Yeah, so one thing to add to for those people that haven't read the Bitcoin white paper, it's probably worth a read and we can include the link in here. But Bitcoin was kind of the original cryptocurrency that started in 2008 out of the financial crisis. And the big thing about Bitcoin is there will only ever be 21 million of those. So one of the reasons why you see the, the supply and demand um, if only increasing in demand for the most part is because there's only so many out there and there will only ever be so many out there. And we're not going to go into the the details of how it's mined and all that. Um, but that kind of, to tie that into the rest of the crypto market, right? Um, there are a lot of other cryptos that are copies of Bitcoin. And then there's a lot that are doing things completely different. Um, and one of the reasons why it is interesting to do things differently, Bitcoin does a new block every 10 minutes. So that's one of a, a big issue is if you're trying to get something on their, their ledger, you don't want to wait a couple of blocks for your your coffee to go through, uh, so there needs to be something else done in, in the in the intermediary between there. Um, derivatives is another spot, right, where you, we we experienced the GameStop craze here recently, right? Um, the crazy part about the derivative market is that market is estimated to be somewhere in the uh, one quadrillion market. So yeah. Which, if you don't know what a quadrillion is, that is one thousand <laughs> trillions, right? So, right. which is uh, one thousand billions, yeah. Which is so one thousand millions, yeah, exactly, yeah. So <laughs> you're talking about uh, what is that? One million billions is one quadrillion, right? So that's right. Yeah, it's it's crazy the the numbers there, and that is a complete mess. And there's nobody understands what's going on. If you haven't read the Big Short. Uh, which is kind of what caused one of the, the financial crisis in 2008 that talks about some of the subprime subprime derivatives and how even the people doing it didn't even really know what they were doing or, or what, what was going on. So moving that to a blockchain and having more real-time information um, provides a lot of benefit for all sides included, right? So there's the potential for all this to grow is, is insane. That's not going to happen on the Bitcoin network, right? There has to be other things out there that, that, handle that type of 
throughput and that type of information. So that's the exciting piece of why crypto is exciting, right? I, I think Bitcoin is definitely going to survive. If something takes over the derivative market, that'll be amazing. When that happens or how that happens or who's going to do it is still a big question mark, right? And it's kind of what you talked about. A lot of the coins out there, probably 99% of them are crap and they're going to go to zero, right? But how do you find those couple of blue chips that start to do well um, and, and become the next Amazons and the next Googles and things like that. Cause those, those companies started for at next to nothing. And now they are an integral part in almost everybody's life, at least in the U S. So, yeah, and, and that's a tricky piece on the crypto side because, you know, I mean, Netflix, Netflix started out mailing DVDs to people, um, which is a kind of a wild, terrible interim business model. And, but man, because they did that, they could figure out that about the streaming side and then the internet caught up. And then honestly, Netflix is like a huge percentage of all bandwidth. And so it's not dissimilar to the kind of the adoption of, of Bitcoin and crypto. It's like some of these things, it's like, oh, this is a solution looking for a problem, right? It's like, man, that's kind of what Netflix was doing. Like Blockbuster existed. Blockbuster, like it wasn't a problem to get movies. Yeah, you had to go pick one up and you had to get it and, you know, rewind it before you send it back and late fees and things like that. But that was the way it was, right? It's just like going to a check cashing place. Like, that's the way it is. Uh, and then Netflix is like, man, we could do better. Like, so they, they did the mailing thing and then they, they pivoted to streaming once it became available. And you look at crypto, like, yeah, okay, well, this, uh, like Ethereum, right? Okay, uh, Ethereum's cooking for years and fees gas fees are pretty low and people are building on it and it's becoming like this infrastructure for crypto well the infrastructure doesn't hold up too well or i assume that's why gas fees have jumped the way they have is because you've got so much so many people trying to use ethereum on ethereum based platforms and so what's ethereum do okay well instead of sending dvds out we're just going to stream everything okay so ethereum goes to ethereum 2.0 you know goes to proof of stake um, you know, we'll see how it works, but yeah, okay. Now it's still able to adapt and improve. And then 10 years from now, is Ethereum going to be what in everybody's house like Netflix is now? Like, I don't know, but I mean, I pay, I think Netflix is now $20 a month for me. Like, God, I don't know if that's worth it, but $20 a month. If you had like, if you have a Ethereum subscription, like it's great for the Ethereum network. And you can transact a bunch on whatever Ethereum platforms you want to transact on. Like, yeah, okay. Now you don't have, now whatever you're doing and whatever, uh, whether you're like believing that the metaverse is going to take off or if you're just looking at Ethereum taking over some sort of payment-based processes or whatever. I mean, that's, it doesn't have to be money-based processes for Ethereum. Um so, you know, those are the those are the bets you need to place. It's like, man, okay, this Netflix, this crazy Netflix company that's mailing DVDs out. Do I want to do I want to own a little piece of that? Cuz uh, to me that's kind of what crypto outside of Bitcoin is. It's like it, it, they're I think that they will become regulated as securities because they're very similar to securities as as far as just having an equity piece of the protocol. Um and then some of them you'll just transact in that piece. So it's, it's like summer securities and summer currencies. Um, 
and so it's you know trying to figure out what which ones are going to be successful no idea but the there's definitely use cases in crypto that don't you know and again you don't have to hate us dollar to like bitcoin and to like bitcoin you don't have to hate ethereum and hate these other cryptos like you can like that's that's up to you but um you know but bitcoin doesn't solve all of the use cases that all these other cryptos are going after so it's it's worth keeping an eye on all of them i think one of the things kind of going back to the us dollar piece i, I was very frustrated learning about the us dollar when i started diving down into the details what i want now i don't i don't hate the us dollar i think the us dollar is great right we are the the biggest uh, financial weapon that we can use over every other country right now is the U.S. dollar because it has so much power. Uh, and I want to continue to have that power so when I go to a different country, I can transact in U.S. dollars. And, and right now, crypto should want, I would say at least in America, you want crypto to be tied to the U.S. dollars as well. And if you look at it, for the most part, U.S. dollars is the main peg to almost all of these cryptocurrencies. So as long as that continues, the U.S. dollar will stay strong. Our standard of living should stay high there too, um, just because everything will be based in U.S. dollars. And I mean, you look at what Turkey, what Turkey's going through, and El Salvador, and uh, Venezuela. Venezuela. Yeah, I mean, th those would just be miserable. And that's happened pretty much with every fiat currency in the past, and it probably will happen with every fiat currency in the future. Uh, I just don't want that to happen in my lifetime. And for me, it's all about, all right, how can I justify staying in some, in, in, in some form of currency? Um, and it might not be the majority in U.S. dollars. It might be Bitcoin. It might be something else. But I think long term, <laughs> crypto's coming, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it, you, they make a, a comparison to where the Internet was. Uh, and, and they say right now we're kind of in that 1997 time frame for the Internet. Um, and I don't know if you remember what you were doing in, on the internet in 1997, but I do remember for me, it was a uh, dial up modem and I got in trouble because we had a $300 phone bill the first month because <laughs> I had to pay long distance charges and we had no idea that was happening. So um, yeah, I, I, I think there's still a lot of growth. I think it's going to be uh, a many multiple year growth. I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow or the, or the next year, uh, but we're still talking about 5, 10, 15, 20 years out as people start to, to adopt everything. I mean, you talk about metaverse, right? I still think if you haven't read Ready Player One or watched the movie, it wouldn't surprise me if the future goes there at some point in the, soon, right? NFTs and gaming are driving crypto more than anything else is. <laughs> so Bitcoin oh, yeah. is this. Uh, yeah, uh, no, matter, no matter how old you are, if you put on an Oculus and you play it for a little bit, like... It's pretty cool. I, I mean, it's it's a pretty the virtual reality stuff. I, I think I could definitely see how that's coming now. Uh, do I think one hundred percent of the population is going to freaking get into the metaverse? No, but it's going to suck in a whole bunch of people. Like it's 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 pretty wild. So you know, and that's we're how early are we? Right? Like that was the, like a Christmas present this year that wasn't a Christmas present last year. Um, so it's year one. I mean, for for like widespread virtual reality headsets so you know it, it, it's definitely early uh and the what i mean there's going to be a lot of productivity stolen into that but they're definitely going to have ways to figure out how to increase productivity through that um so I, i'm curious to see how how that stuff plays out but you're talking about 
1990 internet for metaverse stuff, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's super early and clumsy and chalky and like, you know, uh, they don't, they don't know what they're going to, what it's going to look like or anything like that. So um, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. This is getting a little bit over my skis. You know, I'm more of a Bitcoin guy. Uh, I'm interested in that stuff because it's, it's, it's definitely neat. Um, but it's uh, as far as why get into crypto, that's why, right? Because there's a future use case that's huge. That's double digit percentage of the global population is going to be a part of it. And if you pick the right ones, you're going to be a huge benefactor and you're going to take those U.S. dollars that are melting away on you and you're going to convert them into assets that are going to be used in the future world as currencies or some valuable properties. And that's where, you know, that's where the value lies. And if you look at upside downside asymmetry, like, okay, so yeah, if you buy a cryptocurrency that has a long shot at at a a long-term success, like, yeah, you can uh, lose 100% of your investment, but you could gain 2000% of your investment. So you've got a lot of upside and relatively low downside. You know, you know, you could get into leveraging into these positions. I, I don't, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't really leverage into my positions. It's, um, but yeah, you, you can lose a hundred percent and you can gain 20, 30 times your money. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of upside there. Um, and then you mentioned, uh, you know, if you look at the crypto space and the dollar and, the, and Bitcoin, several of the top 10 market cap cryptocurrencies are us dollar pegged like tether circle and all those they're taking over the top 10 if you from a market cap standpoint so i mean a lot of the crypto market cap outside of bitcoin is us dollar pegged and then uh, those are conversation to get into if that's legit or not but like that's how valuable the dollar is is that people want to take dollars <laughs> in 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 like traditional finance sense and convert it into digital dollars uh, that are, you know, cryptocurrencies pegged to the dollar. And, you know, you can get returns on that and gain and, and, uh, and things like that. But, you know, you're talking about it's, if you add up all of those dollar based cryptocurrencies, they've got to be close to flipping Ethereum, right? I mean, it's, it's got to be pretty close. So, you know, it's, it's Bitcoin uh, dollars, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then you've got to, and you've got to really start kind of digging in and figuring out if you believe in the project after that. In, in my opinion, well, I think stable coins are what might actually be a really good conversation in the future as well. But I mean, just as a comparison to what how things are working today, a lot of people today are putting their money into some sort of checking or savings account, and depending on where they're at, they're maybe making a quarter of a percent. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have places like Voyager where you can put your dollars into, I think, USDC, which is uh, the Coinbase stablecoin. Is that right? Ooh, I think that's Circle. And I, Circle? I can't remember right. who backs Circle. Anyway, Circle is so backed it, by some major. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. Financial. So, US, USDC, um, and you can put it onto a USD or a, a Voyager debit card, and you earn 9% of your money while it's sitting there before you spend it. Right. So it's kind of the opposite of what we just talked about, where you're you're it's costing you 10 plus percent to get your money into some sort of usable form. This is saying, all right, after you get your money, you're going to earn money on it until you spend it. So 
and we've gone on for now for about an hour, so I'm going to try to close things up and summarize. Yeah, so I, I think the big question that I wanted to try to answer on this was why crypto? And what we've tried to explain is what the, what it looked like back then, what it looks like today, um, some of the potential for the future, right? And when you're talking about markets that are going to add 50 to 100x or even more to the ecosystem, then there's huge opportunity for Bitcoin and crypto in general. Uh, so hopefully that answers a lot of questions. If there are other questions, maybe we can address those in the future. But Hal, as always, man, thanks for joining. Thanks for the conversation and uh, looking forward to our next one. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Jason. See you. All right. Thanks for journeying down the crypto rabbit hole with us. If you're interested in learning more about crypto, please join our private Facebook group, Unblocking Crypto. It's a small community discussing new ideas and just asking questions to learn more. Hope to interact with you there.